All right. It's amazing how that works. Good morning. How are we doing? <laughs> it is good to see you guys. Nick and Amanda, it is really awesome to be led by you in our reading of Scripture and prayer uh, this week. Um, it was a funny story. Nick and I live in the same neighborhood, and um, Nick texts me this week. I didn't tell him I was going to tell this story, but um, he texts me this week, and he goes, were you out jogging? I was like, no. <laughs> no. Should have, but it wasn't me. He said, someone looked exactly like you. I was like, well, if they would just be able to defer their workout routine to me by not having to work out, that would be awesome, but it was great. It's so good to have you guys lead us this morning. I'm grateful to be with you. My name is Evan. I am one of the pastors, Nick Jones and Alan are the other two pastors. Nick led us in worship this morning. Nick, brother, thank you. Um, it is just good, as we just read in Psalm 100, to be in the presence of the Lord together. May we not miss that. How easy is that for us just to come into a school and sing and worship the Lord together and miss, and miss the amazing reality that God is with us and he invites us in to his presence. So this morning I am going to preach from Luke chapter 11. But before I do that, I just want to say, what is the, what is the purpose of the church? What, what, what are we here to do this morning? Well, very simply put, we're here as believers to love God and love other people. It's pretty simple. We are a people who have been called by God to love our neighbors. We live in Herndon or somewhere in Northern Virginia, and we want to share this good news with those around us, right? That, that, is, the, that is the mantra of almost every single Christian that I know that believes in the Bible. And so how do we do that? We share our faith, right? We share our stories of how God has rescued us from our sin, and forgiven us. That is really good news, right? We give to the poor. We help those who are in need around us, who are in need in our own family of God here, right? We do that. We do those things. And we show love and we show kindness to each other. Not perfectly, but we seek to do that together. Is that not right? These are all good things. All the right things that we should keep doing and keep striving for. But last week, what we saw, and if you were with us, then you recognize that Alan preached from Luke chapter 10, and he said, in order to be able to do those things, these good things, what do we need to be able to do ourselves? We need to be able to rest. We need to be able to actually take what Psalm 100 says and enter the court's of praise and thanksgiving entered God's courts, but we also need to be ministered to by God ourselves. And so we live in Northern Virginia. It's not a newsflash, but what is Northern Virginia known for? We're known for our kindness on the highways and byways. <laughs> I'll take that as a maybe. Are we known because we have so much time that we, we have too many people who want to come over because their schedules are completely empty? Is that what we're known by? No, our problem most of the time, generally speaking, for those of us who call Northern Virginia home, is that we are really, really busy. So rest is something that is good in theory, but hard in practice, right? Right? We don't put enough gas in the tank to go 300 miles in our cars, right? Theoretically speaking. And so God has a lot for us to do, but how much do we spend doing things on an empty tank? And so last week, we were just encouraged and reminded to rest in God and through that rest to then spend and give ourselves in this rhythm of work and rest. And so today, I want us to go to God's word, and I want to ask us a question. I want to ask you a question. How would you characterize your relationship with God today? 
How would you characterize your relationship with God today? And as you consider that question, I want to give you a scale. It's a very simple scale. The first thing, it'll be on the screen behind us. Would you characterize your relationship with the Lord as being cold? Meaning, you feel distant from God or that God feels distant from you? Would you characterize your relationship with God as lukewarm? He doesn't feel distant, but he doesn't, doesn't feel close. Or would you characterize your relationship with God right now as being that of hot? You, you feel very close to God, that God is very near to you. I want you to take a few moments in silence. I really want you to consider the answer to that question for yourself. If you're not a follower of Jesus or you're just checking out what this whole Jesus thing is about and you're with us today, I am so thrilled that you're with us because I think this actually applies to you as well today. And so as you consider this question, maybe you think of this question in a different way. So I wanna pose that question to you while others are thinking of where they find themselves. And I wanna encourage you to consider, how are you doing with life right now? How are you doing? What is it that you are looking to in your life for hope? Is that hope cold, lukewarm, or hot? You don't need to put God in there, but just put in whatever it is that you are running to for hope or you're putting your hope into. Because my longing for you today is that you would be convinced that Jesus would be a better alternative as we study the scripture today. So just take a few moments in silence, all of you, and consider that question. And in this time, I want you to be honest, not to beat yourself up, but to really consider how you would describe your relationship with Jesus today. Okay. Now, I ask you that question, brothers and sisters, friends today who are with us. I ask you that question because I believe that the where you answer that question, whichever way you answer it, is really important in relation to the text we're going to study in Luke chapter 11 today and to the topic we're going to study. Because the topic we're going to study is prayer. And so today we come to chapter 11 of Luke's account and the account of Jesus' life and ministry. And so I just want to bring us up to speed to where we are in our text this morning. Luke has been showing us, as he's giving this account of Jesus' life, he has been showing that Jesus starts off by warning those that he's around of unbelief. He's warning them throughout the first part of Luke, warning them against unbelief and sin. And then Jesus moves and he reveals himself to be the Christ. And that is a wildly crazy statement for someone to make in that time. And people did not like that statement. They were perplexed, angry, and certainly you'd see, you'll know what happens later because he makes that statement of being the Christ. But then as we see from chapter nine on, the last several weeks, that Jesus begins to set his face towards Jerusalem. And as he's doing this, he's calling his disciples to himself, and then he sends out 70 to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, that it is near And then he turns to teach us what true spiritual life is, what it means to love God. What does it mean to love other people? And what we see is that what we are called, what we've been called to do is to rest in the presence of God and his love in order to be able to love and serve those that God has called us to do that with. And so here's where we pick up this morning in Luke chapter 11. And here's what is gonna be shown to us today in these 13 verses that we're gonna look look at. Here is the question that will be answered by Jesus. Why do we pray? Some of us have grown up in the church, and this is a topic that we've heard forever. Some of us have no idea what it means to pray, how it works. And in this text, there's a million ways to look at this. But this is the focus we're going to take today of the text. So I'm going to read the text, and you can follow along on the screen. I'm sorry the lights are off but we're doing that just in case it's easier for you to follow along on the screen this morning. So follow along if you would like on your own Bible or on the screen behind me. Luke 11, verse one through 13. Read along with me, please. 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Pray with me. God, as we've read your word, Father, I pray that you would help us to see this morning why it is you teach on prayer. Lord, I pray for each and every one in this room, whether they are a follower of Jesus or not, encourage us. Help us be mindful that you love us and that you're with us and that you desire us to know who you are and how that would shape how we live. Oh, I beg you to move in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. We don't know when or where this account in Luke takes place. However, this question about prayer the disciples asked Jesus wouldn't be because they hadn't seen Jesus pray before now. Instead, I believe Luke actually wants us precisely to know why they're asking this question because they have seen Jesus pray so often that something now is stirred within them to ask, Jesus, teach us to pray. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of ways to approach this text. But I want us to look at why Jesus replies to this question by not simply showing them how to pray, but why they should pray. But here's the thing I want to do. And on the screen, I think you're going to see this come up behind me. There are some challenges for us in prayer. And this is why I think the disciples even ask, teach us to pray. And I want to set up three different things, challenges to be able to pray with. And so as you look on the screen, Nick, you can pull them up real quick. There's three of them. Go ahead and put all three, please. There's selfishness, that prayer can be boring, and that we can be ashamed. I think these are three things, not all of the ways that we can be challenged in our prayer life, but I think these are three of them. Selfishness, because I can only pray for just what I just pray for what I want. Does anybody struggle with that? Does anybody struggle with their approach to prayer as being boring, that prayer is simply just an obligation? Or do you struggle with being ashamed because you pray only when you feel like you haven't sinned recently? Those are three challenges that I just want to present for us. And Luke is going to show us that Jesus' teaching on prayer is going to help us to counter not just these three struggles, but any struggle that we would potentially face in regards to prayer. And so here's the thing, Grace Hill. This morning, here's what I want you to hear. What we will see in this teaching is that prayer is primarily an exercise of knowing who God is. We're going to see five things that Jesus teaches us. Those five things are this. God is our father. God is our provider. God is our forgiver. God is good and God gives himself. Let's look at the first one. In the text, Jesus is modeling how to pray. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus uses this phrase over 70 times, 
70 times. He uses the term father. And what Jesus is telling you and me in this text, in these very first parts of what to pray, he is saying, you are not merely speaking words into thin air. You're addressing a holy, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, who is also what? Our Father. We have access to the holy God that we see in Isaiah 6, where the prophet trembles in his presence. Trembles. Says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. This is a response. This is a right response to God. But here Jesus is also contrasting that holiness with this approachableness. And we just read in Psalm 100. Enter the courts with thanksgiving. Did Isaiah? Isaiah was trembling before this God. The Jews would also understand that when they're hearing this, that listen, trying to approach God, if you approach God in some unclean, unwelcome way, you could die. They would dare not draw close or without the proper distance or touching sacred objects within temples. They, they knew this. The Old Testament in Exodus says in 24 that Jesus is like a cons- God is like a consuming fire. And so they would recognize that God wasn't unapproachable in the Old Testament, but there was a need for mediating between God and his people by priests in this temple system that's set up for sacrificial atonement of sins. And there's this huge section devoted to Solomon's temple and its importance in this light. But its primary importance revolves around the main theme that sin has separated us from God. So how is Jesus now saying, approach God as father? How is it possible? And here, friends, is the good news. We are reminded that Jesus' sacrificial death for sin is the only ultimate sacrifice that finally satisfies. That it's the most stunning expression of God's love. It puts it in once and for all, all of the Old Testament commands of how you're supposed to approach God. Jesus fulfilled all of them for you and for me. Our mediator is Jesus, and now we have access to God. This is a stunning expression. This should make us turn our heads and go, man, this is crazy. But that's not our context in today's world. That was the context in Jewish times. We've gotten very casual with God. And so for us, we have to struggle with recognizing the holiness of God. And yet the same is still true. We are invited to call God our Father. So here's my question. Have you put your faith in Jesus Have you genuinely trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you understand that you have a God who thankfully hates sin and yet loves us and makes a way for us through his perfect son, Jesus, that we might be able to approach him now? Do you have a relationship with him? This is the gospel And this is the idea that God can be now our father because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, this is a foundational truth about the Christian faith. So I just want to read a quote to you from someone who's far smarter than me. So I just want to read it. Listen to what this brother has to say. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. How much do you make of being God's child? And having God as his father, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls your worship and prayers and your whole outlook on life, it means we don't understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, Everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. That is from J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. So friends, Jesus teaches us that we don't just have mere access to a preoccupied and very busy God, but we have access to a loving, powerful, tender-hearted father who loves and desires to listen to us. The second thing we see is prayer teaches us that God is our provider. 
Give us each day our daily bread. We pray because we have a Father who provides for us. Do you feel selfish in your prayers sometimes? Don't. Now listen to me. Here's why I say don't. Proverbs 30, verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Jesus is saying we need things. He knows that. He made us, and he is modeling. You need things. Pray for what you need. God gives good gifts. Jesus says pray for what you need, but guess what? He also has said pray for what God wants. Pray for what God your fathers wants. See, he says, your kingdom come. This would be the will of God. So Jesus gives us a model that we certainly pray for what we need and what we want, but it's counterbalanced with the desire to pray for what God wants and that his kingdom primarily would come. Jesus is teaching us, as showing us that God is our father, is that we primarily need to trust God daily. Do you trust God daily? Do you trust God? Could part of the temptation for some of us, myself included, to not trust God be because we actually don't spend time with him? We don't pray to him. Is this what Jesus is getting after? We should ask for provision. We should certainly thank him for the blessing we enjoy. We enjoy so much physical provision here in Northern Virginia. The majority of us do, but do not get fooled. We can get so easily fooled, correct? We can get fooled that by having so much by way of physical food and material blessing. We think that we actually, not necessarily think that it's right, but we can live as if we actually don't need God daily. I had a pantry full. I got a car full of gas. I got a bank account with more than $2 in it. Maybe some of us. Jesus is teaching us to show us that our deepest and greatest need, aside from even material blessing, is to know that we need God because he is our provider. The third thing we see is that God is our forgiver. Jesus is teaching on prayer and why do we pray is to know God. We need to know that God forgives us Prayer reminds us that he forgives us. And the following clause to this verse, for we ourselves forgive everyone else who is indebted to us, in turn demonstrates, listen to this, it in turn demonstrates that we indeed have been forgiven. The teaching on prayer here is clear. We do not forgive in order to earn God's forgiveness. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. We forgive others because we ourselves, brothers and sisters, have been shown undeserved mercy and grace. Our forgiveness of others stands as a model of humility before our God. Brothers and sisters, because we have received full forgiveness of our sins, First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, have you battled with prayer being boring or feeling like an obligation? Is that a challenge for you? Today, has it been? Friend, have you struggled with shame when it comes to your prayer life? Do you have guilt and shame that you, you carry and so coming in the midst of God and yes, knowing it with my head, but then actually believing it and coming towards him? Man, I, I can't do that because I'm in the middle even right now of besetting sin. I'm ashamed, so I, I don't go to God. I want to address those two struggles. If you feel prayer is boring or an obligation, listen again to Jesus' words on prayer. God 
is your forgiver. God is your forgiver. What room is there for you and me to feel mere obligation or that prayer is boring if we understand that we are coming before a God who has forgiven the absolute very worst about ourselves? What room is there for that to merely be obligation for you and for me? And listen, this is a struggle for me. And Jesus knows that, and so he's aiming at our hearts and modeling this prayer for the disciples to say, it is not out of obligation. Your God, the Father, has forgiven you. God doesn't need our prayer. God isn't sitting there going, man, I'm so thankful, Evan. Let me find like a pad and write down that. That was a great thing. I I was going to miss that. My wife would say, I need that because I miss a lot of things. I need reminders. God does not. God knows that we need prayer. That is why he has created that. He knows that you and I need it more than he does. When prayer becomes boring or our obligation, let our hearts that have gone cold towards God begin to thaw in the warmth of his forgiveness and love towards us. Do you sit in that and just let that thaw you out until the, until the coldness melts away? I've been forgiven. Do you feel too ashamed, too guilty because of past or present sins? Listen to Jesus' words today. Jesus is telling us to pray for forgiveness of those sins. Why? Because he wants to forgive us. He's not holding back. Do not turn away from him. That's the plea in this prayer for us. Don't turn away in your shame. Instead, come towards him, confess, because we're told over and over again the truth is that he is faithful and he is forgiving. Jesus teaches we are to routinely come to God for forgiveness of our sins. Your sins qualify you for prayer. How about that? Instead of them disqualifying you, they qualify you to come into the presence of a holy God who wants to forgive you. How can shame live in that environment? It can't. Some of us need to hear this this morning, and I'm one of them. Prayer isn't for the cleaned up and the pretty. It's for the broken and the dirty. That's why God calls us for it. So do not let your shame speak louder than your God who constantly forgives your sin and the shame it causes. Don't let shame speak louder. Don't do it. Prayer teaches us that God is our Father, our provider, and our forgiver. And we're gonna talk about the last two things prayer shows us here. And immediately after sharing these first three things to know about God in prayer, Jesus moves into a parable, and we're gonna look at that now. And this is where we'll see these last two things. I'm just gonna read, you can listen along in verse five through seven. And Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. This parable sets up what first century Palestine was like. It was actually really funny, I think. So this is not funny, but the next part is food is not as easy to come by then as it is now. Bread got made by and large to meet the day's requirement, right? And so another thing to know about that time is that traditionally it was very important in their culture to be hospitable. Hospitality was very, very highly valued in their time. So here's the problem that's being laid out in this parable. One, the host has a visitor that's just come and the problem is he doesn't have enough bread, right? And the second problem that is is, is he has a neighbor who is asleep and he's going to them to say, I I, I need help, I need bread so I can satisfy the the need to be hospitable to the visitor that has come come for me. So he goes to the neighbor for help. 
So what happens, and sometimes as we read these parables, we, we try to figure out who's God and, and where are we, and, and in this way, I kind of think this is what's funny. Who, when they read this, thinks immediately about who you are and who God is, right? Who, who do you immediately think of as God in this text, or in this parable? Like, like, is God the really irritated neighbor? That was when I first read it. I was like, oh man, like, Jesus, is, God's a really irritated neighbor here. But look what happens if we think of God as the neighbor right now. Verse eight says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. (laughs) Is God the neighbor who has retired for the night, asleep on the floor with his entire family asleep, with the door apparently locked, and in those times they would have this bar behind the door and these two rings and it would rather be a wooden, like, like wooden um, piece of wood that would hold it. So it'd probably be really loud and really heavy. Is God this one who's like that, you know, that shut the door and, and, and really irrit- you know, the irritated guy? Anyone have a baby that they've tried to put down for like two and a half hours before? And you like finally get the child to sleep. And then five minutes later, a noise, a phone, a doorbell ring. And guess what? That baby that took two and a half hours to fall asleep took about two and a half seconds to wake all the way back up again. Anybody been there? Would you be irritated? <laughs> no one's being honest. Yes, yes, you would be honest. Yes, that would be very irritating. That is not a safe place to be at that moment of the irritated parent whose child has just been woken up. In this parable, they're showing us that the neighbor is to be God? No, no. This is the beauty of the parable Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't showing God as annoyed or frustrated or exasperated or not wanting to get up to help. And we'll see that in a minute, but before we see that contrast, we wanna talk about this. What actually caused the neighbor to get up and give bread to the friend? Friendship? Was it the friendship that got the neighbor to give the bread? No. No. Is this word impudence? What does impudence mean? I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. This comes from the Greek word anadeia, which can also be translated as shameless. So because of the boldness and shamelessness of the person asking, this person, the neighbor, then gives the bread. The petitioner knows this isn't a good time at all, and yet because he's stuck between a rock and a hard place and not having bread and not wanting to wake the neighbor, he he still goes and goes, I have a shameless request to ask. And the neighbor doesn't respond because of friendship, but because of the boldness and shamelessness of the ask. So you can relate to this. I have children, and sometimes they come to my bedside, mostly my wife's, but sometimes me, like six in the morning, and they will have a request as I'm fast asleep. Father, we have a request of you. No, that's not how that works. Shaking or, hey, dad, hey, da, 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 da. I have something I want. Can you, can you tell me the password to the screens? Six in the morning. I, I do not answer out of friendship. <laughs> I don't do it. But because of their boldness and my desire to go right back to bed, I will give them what they need sometimes. But Jesus contrasts this example with this about who God is. Verse nine says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What a stunning contrast Jesus gives in this parable between the neighbor and who God is in regards to prayer. He's not like me at 6 a.m., frustrated and annoyed and tired. God is pleased to be asked and pleased to give Jesus teaches us in this prayer that we are to know that we have a father who is good. That's the other thing God is being shown in prayer to be. Father, provider, forgiver, good. 
Ask, seek, knock. Prayer shows us that God is good. God will respond. If earthly fathers who are evil in comparison to God give good gifts to their children, what God gives is even greater and even better. God is drawn to forgive us because he's good. He doesn't withhold good from his children. He is good. But let's not misunderstand this text this text is not as if it presents God as a genie and we just wish and then we, we get what we want or what we wish for. That would take this whole teaching that Jesus is sharing to us out of complete context. And you know what? There's a lot of dangerous theologies that do do this. They take this out of context. The prosperity gospel is taught when it takes this out of context. So the proper context is this, is we come to God in prayer knowing who he is Father, God whose kingdom will not be thwarted by the gates of hell, who gives us what we need and forgives our sin, would we then ask for things outside of his will? No, not intentionally. So selfish, sinful gain is helped to be cast off as we come to God seeking his will and knowing what it is that we actually need. There's no room for that kind of a theology that says God's just going to give you whatever you want. No, he's going to give you what you need, and he is good, so you trust that. John, 1 John 5 helps clarify this. So, so how do we know what to pray? 1 John 5 says this in chapter 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Anything that seeks God's will. Anything that seeks the advancement of his kingdom. Because we know who God is, that he is good. And we, we desire to naturally want those good things that he himself wants for us and for the world. Psalm 84, 11. I love this. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is good. He doesn't withhold good from us. And the greatest gift that we can get isn't for anything here, right? So I wanna say this. This was the most surprising thing for me personally this week as I studied this. As we get to our last point of what prayer teaches, prayer teaches us that God gives us himself. Some of you might be like, well, duh. That wasn't a light bulb for me. See, nothing here ultimately lasts, does it? Does it? I find myself praying often for the things here. Again, not bad. But as Jesus shows in this text, Though there are really good things to be given here, things we should pray for, healing from cancer, a new job, a relationship, a child, someone to come to faith, a new home, all good things, all things that God would even bless at times. All of those are good things. But Jesus does something a little different, and this is where it struck me. I expected Jesus to continue to draw out this gift theme. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give you good gifts? No, that's not what Jesus says. If you look at verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God gives himself. The God of heaven and earth that gives himself to you and me when we ask him in prayer. And given the Holy Spirit, as J.C. Ryle puts it, he says, we have God the Father's boundless love, God the Son's atoning blood, full of communion with all three persons of the blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Having this gift, we have grace and peace in the world that now is glory and honor in the world to come. 
And yet this mighty gift is held out by our Lord and Jesus Christ as a gift to be obtained by prayer. Jesus is telling us how vital it is to know God and live out from that knowledge, to be bold in our prayer. We don't simply just get counsel from God, we get the counselor. Does that change your perspective? It's changing mine. I had to really sit with this week. I didn't have a great week personally. Had some struggles this week in several different areas of life. Not unlike many of you, I'm sure. And the Lord showed me how much I don't go to prayer because I've actually just forgotten who he is most of the time. That's typically my problem. I don't, I don't realize who it is I'm, I'm going to, so I actually don't do it as much as I should, not out of obligation, but because I need it. And so as I've continued to wrestle with this, I went through all three of these challenges I mentioned earlier. I have been selfish when it comes to prayer. I've been selfish. I pray for me. I have felt obligated. I have felt ashamed. And then Jesus took his chainsaw to those walls this week for me and is still working this out of my life. He took a chainsaw to each of those three challenges and walls and he sliced right through them. And then he landed verse 13 square in my lap as I was studying and praying, what do I do to this week, Lord? What do I do in the light of my own struggles with you, God? What do I do with it? What do I do? And he says, he says, Evan, you get me. I wanted, I wanted these things to be fixed. I wanted it to not be a certain way so consistently in my marriage that I know frustrates and can hurt my own wife at times. I, I, I want those things to change. And then Jesus is saying, well, come to me because you, guess what? Evan, you need me more than you need to fix anything. Yeah, okay, God, I got, but things aren't great. It'd be great if you could throw a bone. And he goes, I did. Slow down. I'm pleased, Evan, to give myself to you today. I love you even when you're selfish, Evan. Come to me in prayer. I love you, Evan, when you come to me in obligation. Come to me in prayer. I love you, Evan, even when you're ashamed of what you've done. Come to me in prayer. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm gonna keep giving myself to you. So what I learned this week as I studied what Jesus wants to teach in prayer and what he taught his disciples is know who your God is. He's a father, a provider. He's a forgiver. He's good and he's with you. So I want to close with four encouragements to you. I want to encourage each and every one of you as I'm seeking to be encouraged by God through his word myself. Why do we pray? We pray because prayer is. Here's four things I want to encourage you with. We pray because prayer is not about what you get, but who you're with. We pray because prayer is indicative of a life that is fully dependent on a God who really knows you and loves you. We pray because prayer is longing for God's will to be done on earth. 
And the fourth encouragement I want to offer you this morning is we pray because prayer is about boldly, shamelessly, consistently going to God all If you answered earlier that you felt cold towards God, what does this text say to your feeling distant from God or that he's distant from you? My encouragement for you who feel cold towards God or that God is cold towards you, I offer you Psalm 22 verses one through five. I offer that to you as an encouragement in your own prayer this week. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. And then verse three, those who feel cold towards God. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted, They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. When you feel far from God or that you feel that God is far from you, rely on his character, not your feelings. That is my encouragement to you who feel cold today. Take time to pray and remind yourself that God is faithful, and that will warm your cold heart to the truth that he is not far off at all. No, he's right there. If you feel lukewarm, not that he's distant, but not that he's close, it's okay. It's okay. The fact that Jesus says God will give us the Holy Spirit is really good news for you who feel lukewarm. Even when you don't know what to think or you're kind of just stuck in the doldrums of prayer life, there's encouragement from God for you. I encourage you to read and pray the truth of God of Romans 8, 26 and 27. That is my encouragement for you this week. Paul writes, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness or lukewarm or just I'm stuck and feel apathetic or indifferent towards you. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Praise the Lord, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. That drive you from being tepid to warmth and to being hot for God. And if you feel like your relationship is characterized as hot, that your relationship with God is close, praise, praise God. What a good gift to you and others. I encourage you, remember, all good gifts come from God above, all of them. This season in your faith is a blessing. But here's my encouragement for you, friend, who feels close and hot with God. My encouragement for you is Ephesians six eighteen. You take that this week. And you hear what Paul writes saying to you, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. (laughs) Making supplication for all the saints. For those of us who feel lukewarm or cold. Pray for their perseverance as well as yours. And I want to close with this. I mentioned at the very beginning, our call as a church is to love God and to love others. I know of no better way to accomplish that end than to remind ourselves who God is in our prayers as we seek to do the mission he's called us to do. That as we do that, we would find rest. And as we do that, we would be far more desiring to love God by loving others and sharing this amazing news of a God who is with us. I invite you just to bow your heads and I want us to move into a time of communion.
And what I'm going to ask you to do with your heads bowed is, is simply to take a few moments and just let the Lord minister to where you are. Be cold, be warm, hot. Where in Jesus' teaching on prayer today do you need to be encouraged? And as you think through that, and as we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning in response to this, wherever you find yourself at with the, with the Lord's Supper today, be a grace to you all over again. Would it remind you that whether you find yourself cold, lukewarm, or hot, that as you come to the table God gives himself to you no matter where you are. And as the psalmist prays that he will renew a right spirit within us as we seek forgiveness for where we need forgiveness, Jesus is faithful to give that to you this morning. If you're ashamed, you share where you're ashamed. Tell him he knows. And then come to the table rejoicing that your sins have been forgiven and that your God is near to you. I just want you to take a few minutes as the band will play. You can come to the table. There will be two tables this morning, and these tables will have what we call normal communion, and we'll also still have for those who would prefer the prepackaged. Either way, come take the bread and the juice and be reminded of what Jesus has done for you so that you might come to him. He's broken his body for you and poured out his blood for your forgiveness and your salvation. And so come to the table and be encouraged that your God loves you, your God knows you, and your God is with you. All thanks and glory be to Jesus Christ.